This is the PGA of Canada Professional Development Podcast Series. Industry leaders, PGA professionals discussing technology, fitness, planning your business, building your career. These talks, these ideas, developed for you to live a better life and earn a better living. Welcome to PGA of Canada Tea Talks podcast. My name is Mark Rowe from TSN. Thrilled to be once again working with my friends at PGA of Canada. Uh, this is my first podcast with them. I know they've done them in the past and the reception has been great. The numbers continue to increase. So the plan is to do more of them and on a consistent basis. And it's all about covering different areas of this business, from marketing, leadership, innovation, um, really, we want to develop you as professionals, and we're doing two episodes with our next guest, which means we're twice as lucky. Um, let's get right to him. You, you maybe remember him from T-Talks Live. We are joined once again by Steve Graves, president with Creative Golf Marketing. And Steve, in my business, in the broadcast world, anyone can do one show. When they ask you to come back and do another one, that's when you've made it. Wow, this is this is intimidating, Mark. I didn't realize how much pressure I was on to perform. Now everybody will notice if there is no second podcast, you will know that the first one was a failure. That's right. We'll edit that last part out, and it's just going to be a one. No, you'll be great. Perfect. Uh, Perfect. Uh, I, I loved chatting with you a few months ago about um, what creative golf marketing is. Um, we have, I'm sure, new listeners here. Maybe some listeners who attended that but don't remember your story so why don't you just um, before we dive right into some questions here for today's episode why don't you explain what exactly creative golf marketing is and and how you you started it because this is your baby well thank you thank you mark Uh, yeah i i i think i kind of have an interesting background it was you know all the circumstantial and and quite frankly what we're going to be talking about today are the circumstances that were we're dealing with. I was, I'm a, I was a former golf professional and I had a very unusual relationship at my club. I owned all the concessions. So I owned the carts, the bag storage, pro shop, driving range, et cetera, uh, in a member owned club, which was quite uncommon. Uh, and so I had a voice in the boardroom. I was allowed to sit, you know, in the boardroom and uh, have an opinion. I, I came to the conclusion that the more members my club had, and of course, if I was at a public course, the more golfers that we had, the better they would do and that I would do. So it was an interesting dynamic. And I guess I'll give you the, Mark, I'll give you the reverse. The poorer they would do, the poorer I would do. So it was, <laughs> there, there was no question that the two were hand in hand. And that will be a discussion that we have uh, today with your, with your PGA of Canada professionals. So uh, after I, I ascended to the level of also general manager at my club, uh, and because I'm, I'm not exactly a shy guy, as my wife will tell you, Mark, we had this conversation before, I value my opinion. Uh, I will you know, tend to speak my mind. And so I, I came to the role of the general manager for a brief period of time and saw the, the totality of running you know, a, a private club. I decided that I wanted to uh, maybe branch out and still stay in the profession. And so uh, in 1990, I started Creative Golf Marketing uh, after uh, about... 13 years, you know, as a golf professional and still stayed as a golf professional. And I'll now fast forward in the United States. There are 4,000, there's uh, 4,000 private clubs, 17,000 public golf courses. 
of the 4,000 private clubs, I have worked with over 1,600 of those 4,000 in a marketing and consulting relationship of helping to talk about growing membership, retaining membership, collateral materials, branding, things of that nature. Uh, and I've, we, we have 50 states here, as you well know. I've worked in 49. I haven't worked in Alaska, and I don't intend to work in Alaska, but I've gotten 49 of the other 50 states. So, And I've discovered you know, kind of how naive I was with regard to the regionalness. Uh, and I, matter of fact, when I've had the privilege of come to, to Canada to speak, I have be, realized how naive I was as to the regional nature you know, of your extraordinary country uh, and uh, the differences you know, be, between uh, areas of, of Canada. Uh, and so I found that to be the same case, that thought process in the boardroom in one state, one province is not the same as the other. Mm-hmm. Well, it's uh, quite, quite a journey that you've been on. And to think 49 out of 50 states, uh, there's not too many jobs that are going to allow you to travel within your own country as much as, as you have. So you're, you're a great guest to be on for today's episode because um, today's episode is entitled what just happened and how do we maintain the momentum? And it's funny because a lot of people over the last few years have been asking what just happened, but not a lot of industries are asking, how do we maintain the momentum? In fact, it's maybe the opposite and they're trying right. to get some momentum. So right. golf has been very unique in that way. And we all know how difficult, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, it was to get a tea time. So the first question I'll throw your way, Steve, is what did golf courses and private clubs do to make their entities so much in demand during the pandemic? And uh, my question, excuse me, my answer is somewhat bold, little to nothing, absolutely little to nothing. And I, I say that in, in the fall of 2019, Mark, mm-hmm. in the United States here, I was talking to public golf courses and, and private clubs, and they were all talking about what can we do to have people showing more interest in our in our game in you know in 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 private clubs? What can we do? You know, we're, we're not seeing as much as we'd like to see. So at the end of 2019, it was argued here in the United States that we had about 17%, maybe as many as 20% of private clubs were full. That's all. So well over 80% of private clubs were actively looking for more members. Public golf courses were actively looking for more golfers uh, and attempting to not use discounting of greens fees and things of that nature as their strategy. So if you look at the fall of 19, so then March of 2020 hit here in the United, well, in the world. And we all went, what just happened? Oh my, you know, so we were all sequestered at home. We're all worrying about our careers, our lives, our families, our businesses, and panic set in. And then here in the United States, and to a certain extent, I, I believe if I'm you know being correct, in Canada on May 1st, and the interesting thing was, and I'll go back a little bit, if the pandemic had occurred in October of 2019, I think there would have been Armageddon in our industry. So if you you got to think about the seasonality, Mark, you know about this. So on May 1st, here in the United States, they said, you know what? It's okay. God, you can walk your dog. You can walk in the neighborhood. You can play tennis. Oh, but, but be careful, Mark. Don't touch the balls because right. there's, you know, we, are, we didn't want to touch it. Didn't want to touch the pizza box. Right. And then someone said this. You can play golf. People said, what'd you say? They said, well, you, you, can, you, can, you can play golf. 
Now, it went to the one cart per person, you know, one person on a cart, don't touch the flag, rakes. So there were all this dynamic that occurred, but the whole world said, oh my gosh, it's the perfect social distancing strategy. Uh, I'm I'm outside. I, I, by and large, am safer. There's the optics of all of this, and it exploded. And, And these golf courses and these private clubs that have been sitting there wondering what could we do a pandemic you know was their largest advocate for the game of golf uh and an explosion occurred and mark as you point out it wasn't what should we do to it was oh my gosh there's too many people joining oh my gosh there's too many people you know we're gonna have to have tea time we're gonna have to have reservation systems for the driving range we're gonna have to have reservation systems for the swimming pool you know, so it became this, but if if you think about it, nothing happened other than an announcement that golf specifically as a game was okay. And the explosion occurred. Yeah. And there were so many, you know, such few things that you could call okay during that time. And it really, it feels like golf kind of fell into this and, you know, in terms of a of a, a luck standpoint, like did you do you find that there were some golf courses or private clubs that maybe were a bit more lucky than others with this yes. situation? Yes. So, so you know, we start the podcast with people saying, "Well, this guy's arrogant." You know, he's sitting there saying that you know we didn't do anything, and and of course, there were many facilities who had invested in their facilities, who who had electronic tee time systems, who had uh, you know were, were more prepared. They had larger cart fleets you know, uh, so that they could, in fact, have four carts going out, you know, at one time. And and so they they had larger clubhouses. They had all of the things that were, you know, what what is, well, gosh, what has happened for almost two and a half years, optics have played out in everything we do in society. Mm-hmm. And so the, the, the golf courses and the clubs that were optically safer, optically more prepared, optically more customer service-based, uh, quite frankly, uh, you know, were more innovative. Uh, you know, there were, there were many clubs in the United States that did takeout food. Uh, and so, because they couldn't come in the clubhouse and the clubs that were very adept at takeout food exploded in success. There were some clubs that said, ah, oh, we're not going to do that. And, you know, we don't have enough. And, and those facilities did not flourish as much. So, the, the clubs and the private and the, and the and the golf courses that were more outside the box thinking, more innovative in their thought, more prepared to deal with. And we and Mark, you and I both know there were two customers. And I'm not getting into politics, but there was the customer that says this is nothing, and there was the customer that said this is really something scary. Yeah. So you were dealing with both customers, and if you could in fact find that delicate balance of how you dealt with those two customers you know, you were luckier than others. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I just, even my own interactions of golfing, some people were liberated by being outside and getting to see their friends and play. And because we were stuck at home a little bit, uh, I think others still felt a little uncomfortable. And what could you do? What should we be doing? Should we be in a cart with someone? Should we be touching the flag stick? And, uh, you know, and it was, it was kind of re-entering society except society was golf like that was the only part of society that that's we right do. we weren't going to work together 
Um, we weren't sharing a cab together. We weren't going to a bar together. And so that was almost as we have now gotten to, and this is the overused term, the new norm. Right. Golf was kind of our, our first litmus test to what is that and how are we going to act with each other and, and keep each other safe. We know it's funny, Mark. I'm, I'm uh, no one. I have a, I have a face for radio and a podcast, so nobody can see that I'm 66 and an older guy. I grew up in the era where, when you sat at your desk, you romanticized and pined for your friends and golf and getting to the club. And you right. sat at your desk and you couldn't wait for that. You know, the Wednesday afternoon off or Saturday and Sunday, so you go out to the club and you know play ball. Uh, you know, hit some balls. So all of a sudden that came back. You were sitting at home and you were, and they had a monopoly. You weren't, maybe you were pining for the bar, but you weren't going to a bar. You, maybe you were pining, you know, for going to a movie, you weren't going to a movie, but you could go to the club. Uh, and many clubs had, you know, out and, 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 and the golf course, of course, uh, you know, please, I apologize if I, if I say club too often, that's, that's a uh, Freudian slip on my part, just because I have such a bias. Uh, towards it, I know we have so many talented, talented golf professionals at extraordinary uh, public facilities in, in Canada. So please forgive me for that. But many of the public facilities did a phenomenal job of having outdoor areas. And remember, Mark, it was May 1st when this occurred. Yeah. We were going right into, you know, the Masters didn't been, hadn't been played. Uh, you know, so, what, oh, what's going to be played in November? So we could talk about that. Uh, but you could opine in your mind and uh, and then leave your home go to the golf course, go to the club. And there was an outside safety, at least the optics of safety. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, there was um, no limit to the excitement and interest to, to the game of golf, whether it was the existing golfer. I also found people who I didn't expect to be picking up a golf club to say, at least let's give this a try because I got nothing else. So right. with the pandemic creating so much interest and enthusiasm for golf, how, how can you know, our audience right now is PGA professional. So how can they capitalize on this momentum that we've seen in the recent history of the past couple of years? Well, you know, I, I, I live in Kansas and uh, for, for anybody familiar with our, with our, our, our kind of the temperature zone, you know, we're in, uh, we will have, you know, a hundred degree days in the summer, but we'll also have, you know, 10 below in the winter and we'll have snow and et cetera. So Mark, when I was a golf professional, 12 years at my club where I owned everything. The worst years I had, Mark, mm -hmm. were when it didn't snow and we had mild winters because right. my golfers were playing every day. Well, they were playing in October, November, December. By the time January rolled around, they were burned out. They, they weren't looking forward to the excitement of, you know, kind of playing the front nine and playing bad, but thinking, Boy, the back nine is going to be great. I don't know why, but all of a sudden the back nine is going to be better. You know, why? <laughs> but I always look forward to the cold winters that we would have because then they would, they would come out to the club in February. And for some reason, this was the year they were going to take a lesson. They were going to buy new equipment. They were going to do all these things. Well, that just happened. You know, so all of these individuals, you know, golf didn't become any easier during the pandemic. Right. It didn't become any less expensive. As a matter of fact, you could argue prices, you know, accelerated. It didn't become any shorter in duration. Uh, you know, so here's the ability for PGA professionals to capitalize, you know, on helping people having better golf games, you know, better course management, better equipment, fitting them, uh, and, and, and stepping forward 
and being that authority that, you know, one time we had, and I will argue that, uh, you know, the, the as a matter of fact, it, it's going to go into some of your subsequent questions with regard to the, to the PGA professional, but this is the time for the PGA professional, you know, to really be involved in the fun and not having someone come in and say, well, I've been playing golf every day, Mark, for the past, you know, nine, you know, nine months or 90 days, and I'm unhappy, sell my clubs. Oh, wait a minute, Mr. Rowe, let, let's, you know, come on. Uh, why don't you bring your wife out, your kids out, you know, I'll, I'll work with you. You know, so this is the time, you know, for them to be looking at better instruction, more events, things of that nature, uh, because that consumer gets a little bit tired of just, I played 18, you know, I, I hit balls, I played 18, I had my beer, I figured out my bets, I go home. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you look at that over and over and again, that begins to get a bit monotonous. So it's time for the PGA professional to interject in and break that up a bit uh, and be involved uh, in not letting a game that we all love be a little bit of game that we're back to being frustrated with. Yeah. And and when, you know, you see such a huge outpour of, of, of interest in a sport or like anything, like, you know, there's peaks and valleys to everything. And so I'm going to do my best, um, you know, Bloomberg TV anchor impression here, which Bloomberg <laughs> is owned by the same company as TSN, but um, I'll never get hired there because I'm not smart enough. Uh, these, are the, these are the type of questions they'll throw out to a guest. If a PGA professional was a stock, would they be a buy, sell, or a hold investment? Beautiful question. Now, you know, what, what a wonderful way to uh, uh, enhance your relationship with the mothership. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, uh, speaking very candidly, which I'm always going to do, a few years ago, I would say that the PGA uh, professional was a sell. I would have to, as, as a former golf professional, I would have to say that we were not as important as we once were. We were not viewed as the resource. We weren't viewed as the problem. But commonly, people didn't turn to us as the solution. And now, I'm proud to say uh, that I, I wouldn't be a hold. I'd be a buy. I would say that now the PGA professional you know, has, has proven that they are the opportunity to really be viewed as the, the center point, the, the most integral part of the, of the public golf course and the private club uh, you know, because of the entertainment value that we have. You know, we, we, there are very few non-type A golf professionals. <laughs> they, they kind of kill them at birth. You know, they're, they're not allowed, you know, to continue on, uh, you know, for some reason. And, and so, you know, in this industry, we become the people who they're looking forward to seeing at the club. Uh, and they're looking forward to providing them and their family. I had a golf professional say to me, I have the answer to the, to the entire industry, R- listen real closely, take care of women and take care of kids and you're going to be just fine. Uh, and so similar, you know, this is the, this is the place for them to be putting together programming to make sure that children are being integrated into the game and that women who are commonly uncomfortable with the game are in fact, and now the per- PGA professional man and woman have risen to that occasion. And I would say now I would invest a lot of money in the PGA professional, but okay. previous to the pandemic, Speaking candidly, and I think if your listeners did some self-reflection, 
they might say that they were they were at best a hold and maybe a sell. It sounds like there's a, a great opportunity then for a PGA professional, given given what's the situation at the moment. Um, yes. What you know, what can a PGA professional do to position themselves to be the most valuable possible employee for a golf course or a private club? You know, here, uh, uh, you always pick, pick up in my voice patterns with regard to enthusiasm, et cetera. And I'm going to purposefully slow down my voice pattern on purpose, mm-hmm. properly. They need to be viewed as the voice of reason at their club. Not only are they the entertainment director, are they there, but they're now being viewed as the person who's there all the time, that's looking at the totality. Quite frankly, Mark, it's it's why I had the privilege to rise through the ranks of my club and become the general manager. I was looking at all aspects of the club. Was I superior at food and beverage? No. But I knew what good food and beverage service was. Was I superior at agronomics? Heck no. But I was I, I was observant and conversant, you know, in the agronomics, you know, of the golf course and making sure the golf course superintendent you know, had everything they needed, et cetera. So I, I rose to the ranks, you know, of general manager. And commonly it was because I was the voice of reason that came forward and said, wait a minute, one of the decisions you're getting ready to make is a mistake. You're, you're, and, you know, we, you and I talked before we came on the podcast, initiation fees are exploding commonly, not for any reason other than ego Keeping up with the Joneses, as we say here in the States, with regard to, uh, well, you know, the, our club next door, you know, raised. The, the, the public golf course next door took their green seas up $10. We've got to take ours up $12. But did, did a market study tell you that? No, but by God, I can't get on the golf course right now. Uh, and so we've got to charge more. So the PGA professional is the one who's there the most. There's no question. I would argue that point till the cows come home. And they need to be the voice of reason, you know, to say, let's be careful in the decisions that we make. Let's let's make sure that we, and I will tell you, this goes back to your last question, Mark, I apologize for digressing. A friend of mine said the PGA professional here in the United States mm-hmm. was like a gas station attendant. They showed up, turned the lights, turned the lights on to the gas station and outside were the pumps. And they put the sign up that said, Here's how much the gas costs. They went back in the in the gas station and you came in and you paid for your gas. And essentially the gas pumps were the golf course. Guy showed up, opened up the pro shop, stood there, took your money, golf course is out there, closed it up at the end of the day. And that's why I felt the golf professional was a bit of a sell at that time. Now they're the operator. Mm-hmm. Now they are in fact making sure that everything is stocked perfectly, has all the things that the members and the golfers, you know, want uh, from, you know, making sure that their day is exactly what they want it to be. Uh, You know, so uh, golfers and members have many options in their lives right now. And the more the PGA professional is stepping forward and looking into retention, looking into growth, you know, being more the voice of reason, being more totality oriented of looking at brand and mission and making sure everything is cohesive. That's the opportunity that's presented to the PGA professional at this time. So it, so it really sounds like from, 
the, the consumer to the professional, that relationship has changed and probably is going to continue to change as we get back to the main you know, question of this episode. How do you maintain this, this momentum? Or at least how do you, you know, if, if you're, you're hitting these incredible numbers, how do you make sure it doesn't drop off into these incredible lows where suddenly, you know, what, you know, you, you almost look at the last couple of years as a mistake. There's no question. And, and, and that is a possibility. Uh, here in the United States, uh, lots of people want to continue to work from home, but they're being asked, if not forced, to go back to their offices. Well, no one on this podcast, you know, who's a non-golf professional wants to admit it, but when you're working from home, it's kind of a easily occasionally to at two o'clock to leave home and go play nine holes. Uh, where if you were working at your desk, you couldn't just stand up and walk out and go play nine holes. So things are going, things are changing. Golf courses here in the United States are seeing a softening of how much golf is being played. There's a softening of how much people are pining for memberships in private clubs. It's not to say there's not positive momentum, but there's a slowdown, you know, and uh, as you have that slowdown, it tends to reverse course. Uh, you know, and some of the natural things that were harming the golf industry and the private club industry will start to raise their ugly head again about how long it takes, how expensive it is, how difficult it is, uh, time consuming from from families. Uh, and there is the chance that if that momentum is not kept by the PGA professional and face it, Mark, golf, many members and golfers are looking forward to the group they're going to play with and the professional staff they're going to interact with. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, we're, we're a world of cliques. Cliques tend to be in their clique. They get along with the other cliques. They don't like the other cliques, but they like they, they get along with them. They like their group and they like the staff they interface with. So as the golf professional has risen as the businessman and businesswoman, at their clubs has risen in importance. That person is going to be more looked forward to being seen. I would have people say, uh, boy, uh, didn't see Steve at the club today. Does he ever work? You know what the guy was really saying? Steve kind of made me laugh and I didn't see him. And so I'm upset that I didn't have an interaction. I'm not really, he was not really upset that I was home with my kids or with my wife. He wasn't really upset. He was upset that I didn't walk in, when he walked into the pro shop, I didn't say, hey, Mr. Rowe, how you doing? Good, good to see you. You know, and that I, you know, did all the appropriate things, you know, to make, you know, you happy uh, yeah. with regard to your relationship. Exactly. Um, this has been great stuff, Steve. Um, I, I know that our, our audience probably can relate to so many things that, that you're saying, but even as someone who's not in, in the industry, but golfs, um, it all makes sense. And it, it's all about, you know, the, the health of the, of the sport, the health of the business of this sport, both in the United States and Canada. So this has been great. I could talk to you all day. In <laughs> fact, I'm going to still talk to you because we're going to do another episode. You've been that good. You joked that if there isn't going to be a second episode, that, that that meant that you were that bad. But you know what? I'm going on the record now. There will be a second episode with Steve Thank Bray. You. So, uh, stay tuned for that. And we say thanks for tuning into this episode of T Talks Podcast. 
Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Podbean for your up-to-date podcast alerts and early access. This is the PGA of Canada Professional Development Podcast Series. Industry leaders, PGA professionals discussing technology, fitness, planning your business, building your career. These talks, these ideas, developed for you to live a better life and earn a better living.